everyone, welcome to episode 35 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray, and this week we'll start with our usual wrap-up of the fixes and vulnerabilities covered in the last week by the Ubuntu security team. Then I'm going to have a chat to Joe McManus about some recent uh, malware campaigns, in particular one targeting Linux systems called Hidden Wasp. And then we'll do a roundup of a couple open positions we've got within the team as well. Alright, so let's get into it. So this week, there were 34 unique CVEs that were addressed by the team. The first one I want to look at is in Doxygen, the uh, code API documentation generator, you know, based on embedded code comments within your code. Uh, you know, this generates, as I say, HTML from your code and it includes a handy search field within the generated HTML so you can search across your code. Uh, but unfortunately, it wouldn't treat the input to this as untrusted. And so you could blindly inject, you know, cross-site scripting or iframes or that kind of thing into it. So that's been fixed now to make sure that only a whitelist of particular allowed characters are kind of processed from that. And so, yeah, that one CVE has been uh, fixed in the version in Xenial. Next up, we have uh, some vulnerabilities in Qt that were fixed. So three CVEs here fixed for Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. Uh, the three of these were uh, kind of likely denial of service issues in different parts of the, uh, the Qt or Qt stack, depending on how you pronounce it. Uh, the first one was a buffer overflow when handling uh, invalid BMP images or bitmaps. It wouldn't check for valid uh, widths or heights for the images and so would then end up accessing you know, memory outside of the, uh, the valid ranges. There was also a null pointer reference on uh, malformed GIF or GIF, depending on how you say images. And finally, there was a double free that we fixed, uh, which could happen when parsing specially crafted uh, XML documents. Uh, we've got an update for Berkeley DB. So one CVE here fixed for uh, trusty extended security maintenance, as well as the standard releases, Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. So this contains an embedded copy of the SQLite database, and which was vulnerable to a heap-based uh, out-of-bounds read when handling invalid archery tables. And so we've fixed that uh, within Berkeley DB. So that's been fixed, as I say, for those supported releases. Uh, next up, we'll have a look at some of the um, kernel vulnerabilities that were fixed. So this is the um, three weekly uh, stable release update cycle for the kernel. So I'll try to group these together uh, to sort of save time as much as possible. Uh, so the first one, uh, kernel updates for the disco release. Uh, two CVs here that we fixed. So the first one was a vulnerability in the reliable datagram socket module, which was vulnerable to a race condition during network namespace cleanup that could lead to a use after free. Uh, should be noted that this module RDS is blacklisted by default in Ubuntu and uh, this is only able to be exploited by a local attacker so it's only really relevant if you have unblacklisted that and you are actively using it and you have other you know, untrusted users on your machines. And also there was a null pointer reference in the LSI Logic Mega Raid driver. So they've been fixed for the disco kernel. Uh, next up, we'll look at the uh, Cosmic kernel, and this is also the Bionic hardware enablement kernel if you are running that on the uh, Bionic 18.04 long-term support release. Uh, so uh, one CVE here fixed. Uh, this was in the uh, kind of old format A.out of uh, binaries on 32-bit platforms. And so this only affects, as I say, i386 kernel users on 32-bit platforms and only affects... Uh, and this is related to um, address space layout randomization being applied or not in this case to uh, set UID uh, a.out binaries. So if you are using uh, some old uh, compiled a.out format binary uh, and it is set UID and you happen to be running uh, it on an i386 kernel, this will apply to you, but we expect this is probably a very low number of users. 
Uh, and so what would happen really is that the kernel would not set up permissions early enough. And so this could allow ASLR to be bypassed and therefore weaken this um, protection to allow some other existing vulnerability that might be in you know, the given binary that we're looking at here uh, to be exploited. And so what we've done uh, in Ubuntu is we're planning to disable a.out support in general going forward because this is a relic of the past and we don't expect uh, anyone is really wanting or using it. Okay, uh, so on to the next kernel we're looking at is the, uh, the, the Bionic kernel or the uh, Xenial hardware enablement kernel. Uh, this had one CVE here fixed, which is the same as the one I just mentioned previously for Cosmic, uh, the a.out issue. Uh, then we had the kernel that's used in Xenial. Uh, it has four CVEs and that were fixed in it. And this is also the trusty extended security maintenance hardware enablement kernel as well. Uh, so this includes the A.out uh, issue I was talking about before, the uh, RDS module, the MegaRaid uh, driver null pointer dereference that I all mentioned earlier. Uh, plus we also rolled in a fix uh, for an older issue which was that um, the same ASLR protections could possibly bypassed in general on set UID binaries. So this wasn't just necessarily related to the A.out uh, format for binaries, just as uh, in general you know, ELF binaries, you know, the regular ones that are used on uh, Ubuntu. And this results in some changes to the way that, um, that binaries are handled and memory mapping is done. And so it also required an AppArmor profile change. So we released a security notice for uh, the associated update to AppArmor as well, because a number of profiles within it uh, would actually fail with this new kernel update. Uh, and this is basically because when a binary would go to be executed, it would appear to uh, be done via MMAP now uh, due to this kernel change. And so AppArmor would need the MMAP privilege for that resulting binary in the profile. Uh, otherwise, you know, the uh, execution would be denied. And so we've updated, as I say, the standard AppArmor profiles to include that now on Xenial as well to cope with that kernel change. Next up, we've got an update for PHP. So two CVEs that were fixed for precise extended security maintenance and trusty extended security maintenance and an extra CVE, so three CVEs fixed for the standard releases, Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. So the first of these was a heap buff based buffer overflow in handling of crafted JPEG files that's been fixed. Uh, there was an integer overflow leading to possible out of bounds read when handling crafted MIME encoded data. And uh, the one that was specific for Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco was an out of bounds read when handling crafted EXIF data. And this would lead to a crash in denial of service, but possible information disclosure because it would be reading you know, arbitrary memory and sending that uh, or processing that as a result. Uh, next up is an update for Exim. So this one received a bit of press during the week. Uh, there's one CVE here fixed for uh, Bionic and Cosmic. Uh, this was a possible remote exploit of this popular mail transport agent, as I said. So yeah, this got a bit of press. There was an embargo on this one that was meant to uh, go through till the 11th of June, but this unfortunately broke early and so the updates had to be pushed out early. Our team, you know, work on these things uh, in advance so that, you know, if these embargoes do unfortunately break, we are kind of ready, which was great. Uh, so yeah, we had this ready to go and uh, pushed out the update uh, late last week. And so uh, the problem in this case was that it was possible to include uh, kind of shell directives in a recipient's email address, which would be evaluated by the XM process and therefore as root. So you could possibly get, you know, root level command uh, execution uh, as an attacker. However, it wasn't as kind of simple as it may seem to do this or to trigger this. You would actually need to keep a connection open to the server 
for at least seven days uh, by transmitting you know, a single byte every few minutes to keep that uh, connection open. Uh, and at least that's the way that the, uh, the original security advisory uh, detailed the attack. It is possible that there are other ways to um, potentially execute this, although they aren't, um, you know, nothing has been disclosed at this stage, but it is uh, suspected that could be possible in other ways. So yeah, um, if you are running XIM, particularly if it's uh, publicly facing on the internet uh, on a Bionic or Cosmic release, I urge you to update for that one. We've got an update for MariaDB. So two CVEs here fixed in the uh, Bionic release. So these are corresponding flaws that were fixed originally in uh, MySQL. And I talked about those back in episode 30. Uh, we've now fixed a couple of those in MariaDB as well, which is the community maintained fork of MySQL. So yeah, uh, that's been fixed now in Bionic. Uh, two more to go. We've got an update for Jinja 2. So Jinja is the uh, kind of web templating engine. Uh, two CVEs here fixed uh, for precise extended security maintenance, trusty extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. So Ginger employs a sandbox when rendering user-provided templates because these are untrusted, as uh, you would expect, which is good security policy. However, it was uh, found that it was possible to escape the sandbox by reading arbitrary Python objects through uh, Python's internal string format method because you can reference the underscore underscore globals underscore underscore array uh, when you know, formatting uh, parameters to the, uh, the, the format method. And so then you could get it to you know, read essentially arbitrary parameters that are outside the sandbox. And this was originally found and fixed back in 2016 for the uh, string.format method in Python. Uh, but it's since been discovered that at that time they missed the similar string.format map, format map method. And so this has now been fixed as well. So this update for Ginger 2 in Ubuntu includes fixes for both of those issues. And lastly, we've got a Firefox regression. So we released Firefox 67 recently, and this covered 17 different CVEs. Uh, unfortunately, this uh, release from upstream Firefox had some broken code for checking versions on upgrades. And so it could potentially tell you that you had downgraded the browser when in fact you had upgraded it and tell you that you know, your old profile was therefore invalid. Uh, and so yeah, this has now been fixed by this extra point release to Firefox 67.0.1. And so, yeah, that's gone out uh, as a security notice because we do all the Firefox updates through the security team. So, yeah, that takes us to the end of the roundup of security fixes for the week. Uh, next, uh, I had a chat with Joe McManus about some recent malware campaigns. Yeah, there were two interesting hacks reported in the last week or so. And the first one um, was called Hidden Wasp, and it was a blog post um, from Intizer.com, and it was describing... Um, this Linux-based malware. And it was interesting because it's it's using what they described as a Mirai-style attack vector, um, which I don't really know what that means besides, I guess it's doing brute force. So it's brute forcing to get in. And then once it's in, it's not deploying crypto mining malware. It's not doing... Um, it's it's not uh, it's not doing any sort of encryption and um, extortion attack. It's turning your box into part of a command and control or C2 um, box. So I guess to be part of a botnet. They're saying because of that, that it's probably nation state. Um, because why would you do these days? Why would you do a botnet unless you're trying to get some money out of it? Right. I think botnet as a service isn't really that profitable anymore. Um, so they're doing it because it's nation state. It's 
if you have a chance to look at it, we'll put in the notes, if you have a chance to look at the, the, the post, they actually show some of the, the bash script they use to do the install. And it's, frankly, it's really well written. <laughs> it doesn't look like they just went to um, Stack Overflow and cut and paste a bunch of bash scripts to try to figure out how to make this work. Um, so I'm impressed by that. So the next one was, a, I think they called it the Nanshu attack. And it's hitting um, unprotected MSSQL and PHP MyAdmin servers out on the public internet. Um, it hit 50,000 of them at the time of the post. Once again, they're saying it's probably nation-state advanced persistent threat from China. Um, it, the attack vector is a port scan. Then when it, when it finds the open port, it does a brute force password attack. Once it gets in, it uses a known vulnerability. Well, it's kind of funny. It says it uses a known vulnerability, a CV from 2014 that runs system commands to install a rootkit. But I mean, if you have, if you have, access to MSSQL and you have access to um, PHP MyAdmin, like, do you really need that? Couldn't you just do uh, a grant system or whatever the, that, that's my sequel, uh, whatever the equipment uh, equivalent of grant system is in MSSQL, which I don't know because I'm a Linux person, but whatever that equivalent is, couldn't you just grant that privilege, right? <laughs> so they do that, but it's interesting because it's Windows. So if they're running this rootkit or running this malicious software, um, I think they're saying it does what, like, it mines turtle coin or whatever the equivalent of whatever turtle coin is. Um, uh, it mines that. So it runs because they're signing it with a valid VeriSign certificate, but it's expired. It's four years expired. And it's for, like, I think a telecom company in China. But how do these two fit together? Well, one's Linux, one's Windows, but they're both public facing applications on the internet, right? You've got either. SSH, or you've got MSSQL, or you've got phpMyAdmin on the public internet. It's, it's just not a good idea. Why would anybody still do that, right? There's so many ways around this. If you're in the cloud, you can set up a VPC, so you have to be inside the network to hit those things. Um, you can set up a VPN. You can SSH, um, you can SSH in with two-factor authentication, or you can have that VPN which lets you get in, and then you can do port forwarding or something. There is no reason for these things to be on the public internet. Why you could get in with a, I mean, they're, they're brute force password attacking. So why aren't you using fail to ban and knocking them off? Um, why aren't you using? Um, I'm getting very excited. If you could see the video that Alex and I are looking at, I'm gesticulating wildly about this. Um, you can uh, use two-factor auth. I mean, this is such a simple thing to protect against that nobody should be doing this on the on the public internet right now. I don't know, Alex. Now I'm done my rant. What do you What do you think about this? So I find this interesting for a bunch of reasons, particularly the the hidden wasp on the Linux malware. Uh, as you said, if it's brute forcing things, then uh, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit in terms of security hygiene, uh, like you were saying, Joe, uh, that can be done to try to uh, mitigate this stuff or to make sure you're not a target. Because I think you've said it before, actually, that as things kind of go, if you are the low-hanging fruit, you will be targeted, right? And if you're not, then attackers will move on to whoever else is so that you know if you are doing basic security hygiene, you're probably going to be all right. So even in this case... Um, Maybe you need SSH access and maybe you do want to be able to access that from anywhere in the world and you don't want to have to set up a VPN. But then why are you using uh, brute forceable passwords, right? Why are you either using simple creds or they're stolen creds and you haven't, you know, you're not signed up to have I been pwned mm-hmm. or uh, you haven't just set up um, keys, uh, public key authentication. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. You know, so uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, like obviously if you can set up VPN or um, other kind of more restricted access, 
that way from kind of a network point of view that's great but if you can't then yes you should at least be using public key auth not password auth for your ssh and then you will you know you are safe unless your keys get compromised which is you know you've probably got other problems if that's that's the case anyway right yeah and i think like like 10 years ago it was still tricky to create your ssh keys and put them in the right directories but isn't i think there's a there's a program now which is like ssh copy or something i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head that pushes your keys to your destination box, sets up your .ssh with the correct permissions, creates the authorized keys file for you, um, or adds to it. So you don't even need to know how to yeah. mod things the correct way anymore. And then, I mean, it couldn't be easier to edit at the sshd, ssh-d-config, right? And uh, yep. turn that off. And then, I mean, come on, permit root login equals yes? What, what, like, why? Why? <laughs> you yeah. know, that's just ridiculous. Um, there's, there's it does make me then wonder, though, Joe, maybe is some of this targeting um, IoT or some kind of niche, you know, niche Linux appliances out there that uh, out of the box are set up like this, right? So it's not necessarily co- companies deploying things or, you know, people deploying stuff in the cloud with uh, bad configurations. Is it uh, you know, equipment that's shipped that way? Oh, well, I do think that's part of it. I know in my past when I was doing audits of, um, of companies and governments, We'd go in, run, you know, run a scan and find there were boxes with default passwords, admin, admin on running boxes in the network. And that was because they'd say, oh, well, we paid a vendor to install this. We haven't looked at it. Right. And, yep. and so people still make that mistake. I, I think there's still people are still saying, well, we're not a target. It doesn't matter. Or we just have, you know, um, I'll say that lack of responsibility and ownership where people are going in and saying, oh, I installed it. Here's your post install configuration guide. See ya. You need to go do this. Or, you know, mm. you've got um, just people who don't know any better. Or just, I, I think that's still still part of it. Now, IoT, that's a huge, as you said, that's a huge problem. We're, we're, we're repeating the same mistakes from 1995 all over again. And, and the other thing, I guess, when you said, you know, people kind of assume, oh, well, we're not a target. Well, with tools out there like Shodan and others that allow you to very easily kind of map, you know, the whole public internet, right? You, you, you're a target solely because you can be identified as well. As I said, you know, you're low-hanging fruit. Yep, I can see that you're running some outdated version of SSH or, you know, whatever it is, right, that allows you to then be easily compromised. You know, you will be compromised just because you're an easy target, not because of you know you're some business that you think doesn't have a you know that is likely to be a target so yeah this is an interesting discussion Alex. i think what we should do is in a week or two we should we should have one of these podcasts where we say the things we do when we configure a box to be on the internet you know what what are the hardening steps we do do we install 2fa what things do we remove do we go from the server image or do we go with a minimal image and install what we need um you know, there's pluses and minus to all those things. So we, sh- we should definitely talk about yeah. that and the steps we would do to harden. Yeah. I think there, I think there is a, a blog post that one of the teams has done on hardening uh, Ubuntu, but still, we should. If you want to hear from us, Alex, come on. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, the official word. I like it, Joe. Cool. Okay, well, I think uh, we've covered this this week. Thanks for uh, having yeah. me on again, Alex. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. And thanks again for that, Joe. I will talk to you again in another week. Okay, uh... Next up, we've got a couple open positions I want to talk about. There is an open position for a robotic security engineer on the Ubuntu security team. 
if you have an interest in ROS and you want to help define the kind of security frameworks for ROS going forward and, and how that works, I would urge you to apply for this position. A uh, great chance to play with some robots and uh, to do some cool security work as well. So yeah, there's a link for that in the uh, show notes. Uh, I urge you to check it out and apply. And we also have an open position for a security certifications engineer. So if you know what common criteria is and you would like to help ensure that Ubuntu is certified to common criteria and other security security standards, I urge you to check that one out as well and apply to. Okay, that takes us to the end of the show. As usual, if you'd like to get in contact, you can reach the team at security at ubuntu.com or you can find us hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network and I urge you to come along and say hi and yeah, talk to us anything Ubuntu security related or if uh, Twitter is more your thing you can find us at, at Ubuntu underscore sec and yeah I urge you to kind of ask us uh, anything you like really about Ubuntu security okay so thanks again everyone for listening for another week uh, I will speak to you again soon but until then remember keep calm and enable automated upgrades thanks for listening bye